Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Welcome uh, to Willow Park Church. It's, uh, if you're new and you're joining us here in July, we want to give you a massive uh, warm welcome and thank you for joining us. If you've never been before, my name is Pastor Phil. I'm the lead pastor at Willow Park Church. Uh, we're made up of four locations, six congregations, uh, spread all over the city in a beautiful way, committed to uh, sharing the good news. Uh, I just returned from... Toronto later last night on the um, five o'clock flight direct from Toronto to Kelowna. Uh, I'd been at the Mennonite Brethren annual, biannual conference for all of our churches across Canada. And so it was wonderful. There was a little confusion at the airport for those who came from Abbotsford why there was a direct flight to Kelowna and not to Abbotsford. Um, well, I just explained this is, you know, God's city. So... That was great, and uh, we, we had a great time. Uh, uh, Dave McLean was with me. He's on the national board for our conference now and was voted in. So I wonder if Dave could stand, and you can see who from Willow Park Church is now leading our denomination. So Dave, do stand, and let's... Uh... Fantastic. So, you know, he's the only one without a beard, but... Um... It's wonderful. No, we're, we're, we're loving it. Uh, if he does have a beard. Uh, but it's, we're loving it. And uh, can I just tell you that our denomination, and of course in this day and age, we don't talk a lot about denominations. We talk about the kingdom. We talk about churches together. There is only one church in Kelowna. And yet there are different, if you like, sheep pens with different shepherds. And, but I want to tell you that our family of churches that exists, of course, in Canadian society as a legal entity, as a group of churches that abide by uh, uh, laws of our land and function here in our great nation, can I tell you that our denomination is beautiful, it is God-fearing, and the Lord is a move amongst us. And so... Um, it, it, was, it was beautiful, and uh, they, we had some great uh, preachers, and then I finished off on Saturday morning. And uh, it, it was wonderful, and uh, we had a, a great time of fellowship, and, um, and um, uh, wrestled with uh, many different, very important issues that, that were key to our nation, and to evangelism, and to discipleship, and allowing God to be at work. And sometimes we can just dismiss denominations, but denominations historically have been the vehicles by which revival has traveled through many nations. Ourselves, we were birthed out of revival in the Ukraine, where uh, uh, God moved in power in that region, and God worked in strength, and God, that the fire of the gospel was preached in Central Europe, and let me tell you today, the gospel needs to be preached in fire in Central Europe again. Uh, the Methodists were birthed out the great revivals of the Wesley brothers and moved with their preaching. God chooses groups of people, groups that gather together for different periods to make a difference in a nation. And, um, and I'm praying again that God will continue to use his church in Canada to make uh, such a remarkable difference. 
So we're beginning a new series, and uh, you know, because summer is, has a time of inconsistency, uh, a lot of things going on, holidays, camping, camping, holidays. Um, I have to apologize about the weather. Steve's already mentioned that. If you're on holiday in Kelowna, I'm sorry. Uh, um, this week's been dreadful. My mother-in-law arrived this week, um, so she brought the English weather with her. Um, sorry, Mum. Um, so, um, so, but uh, it's looking better this week for the um, canoe and bicycle ride. But we are going to pick up on different characters. This week, I'm going to be talking about um, Abraham. How do you deal with Abraham in one sermon? Wow. Uh, I've got quite a challenge. Uh, Next week, uh, Pastor Glenn will talk about Jacob. And we will work through the significant characters in the Bible all the way through uh, the Bible uh, and and unpack them. So if you are unfamiliar of significant Bible characters and understand what God took them and God used them, then this is a great series for you to to dial into uh, throughout the summer period. Because we start now, we have called it uh, Relentless. And, and, and their, their drive to move forward, their drive to keep pushing in the battles that these individuals face. We'll be moving from Ruth and Esther and Solomon. We'll be looking at, of course, the patriarchs. Uh, we'll be, be, be exploring the life of David and picking up the themes. And I hope this will encourage you to look at significant Bible characters and the difference that it makes uh, in our lives, their stories, and how, how uh, God speaks to us. So I'm going to start with Abraham. Of course, Abraham, for those of you who do not realize, is known as the father of faith. So I'm going to do three things. I'm going to look at a passage of scripture. I'm going to explain Abraham's story to you and I'm going to relate it to your life and my life in terms of faith because he is the father of faith. He is the, the great figure in scripture. When you start to look at Genesis and you move from the first 12 chapters, suddenly there is a massive uh, shift in gear. You see, the first 12 chapters of Genesis deal with the universal themes, deal with the great creation themes, deal with the themes of judgment. And we have the story of creation and and God and the birth of humanity and God's creation. We have the story of, of, of the flood and God's judgment and dealing with humanity. We have the story of the Tower of Babel, where God brought in and, and, and brought um, discipline to the nations and started to, to, to lay out the modern world that we live in today. And then suddenly in chapter 12, there is a shift. It goes from global to becoming personal. And I want to remind you, and as some theologians have called Abraham, he's kind of the Columbus of faith. He's the man that set out, didn't quite know where he was going to end up, and wondered if he'd go in this direction and why, but God brought him to a point of a great nation and being greatly blessed. You could describe Abraham, like you and I, as a story of, of, of pilgrimage. 
It's a story of a mighty trek. It's a story of ancient paths being discovered and laid down. It's a story of somebody who is deciding to walk the West Coast Trail. It is beautiful. It is powerful. But the blisters hurt. And at times you wonder why on earth you are doing this. I'm sure come Wednesday, Thursday and Friday as I'm cycling, canoeing all the way to Asuras with our young adults, I will wonder, this seemed like a good idea, but at this point, I want this canoe to sink. Um, but your prayers and love will keep me going. Uh, and so, so it's this epic journey that exists. It's about an epic journey of one man who suddenly God takes on a mighty pilgrimage. It's not straightforward. It's not a perfect story. And it may surprise you. The founder of, of, of the three great world religions, Abraham, that we look to, he... he He is not a perfect individual. He is full of problems and difficulties, good times and bad times. And yet the Lord calls him one that was accredited by faith. In other words, his gift to us is faith. His gift to us is a belief in his God. His gift to us is that when you have faith, you can overcome everything in your life. And I want to encourage you that you and I, we are not so different from Abraham. Honestly, we are on an epic pilgrimage in our lives, metaphorically. We are struggling. We experience the same moments as I will show you. We go through the same difficulties. Maybe you're new to the faith or maybe you've just turned up here because you wanted to come to church and you're very welcome. And you're exploring the faith. Well, let me explain this to you. That when you discover Jesus, you begin a mighty journey of knowing the presence of God personally in your life. And where the final destination is, is a promised land, a glorious nation. And that promised land is the gift of eternity in heaven in the future. You're on that journey. If you're not on that journey, you can get on that journey. You can start that journey. In fact, nine people last Sunday morning right here received Bibles and started the journey to follow Jesus Christ. They're on that journey. I've just bragged about Willow Park Church at the conference to every pastor. I'm sorry. I just love you. Humbly, of course. Um, But nevertheless, I bragged. Um, Because you're just a fantastic uh, group of people and God has called us together on this epic journey like Abraham. So back to the first 12 chapters. The first 12 chapters are are massive universal themes. Chapter 12, God dials down to an individual relationship and personal journey. So how are we going to start this? Well, let's read a little bit of scripture for a moment. I'll probably read about nine verses, although I'll have the whole chapter here. It says, when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him. We're picking up in the middle of the story. You may want to keep your Bibles open. It's good to bring your Bibles. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. I would imagine, just going back to that verse, I'd imagine that this is our goal and objective for us as Christians. It's mine. I want to walk before God faithfully and blameless. 
except I'm condemned, I'm shamed, sin affects me, but I am blameless because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus comes from the line of Abraham, and he's the answer to all of man's problems. He is the fulfillment of all the great promises of God. He is the epicenter, the supernova of all that God has planned for humanity, Jesus Christ. But I can only walk faithfully and be blameless. Why and how? Through the cross of Jesus. We'll move on. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abraham fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you, uh, you very fruitful and I will make nations of you. The kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants. And after you, you, after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you. And I will be and will stay here their God. I love the the terminology. The terminology is personal. The terminology is I will be their God. The terminology is whatever I'm birthing here, it is up close and personal. I'm going to be involved in this journey. And what I'm going to reproduce is blessing of the nations, blessing and fruitfulness. The world is going to change. And what I'm beginning here with this individual will be fulfilled with a mighty blessing to all the world. Can I tell you that the ultimate fulfillment of what started here in these ancient texts is the church, is Jesus Christ and the gospel being preached in every nation. This is the end of the story. But let's talk about Abraham. So you got your Bibles. Let's start to talk about it. The story starts in Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis chapter 12, uh, suddenly uh, he is called by the Lord or by this inkling or this desire to leave where, where he is re- residing, which was probably around the kind of, it's, it's called Ur, it's, the, it's, it's in Iraq, and it's part of what we call the ancient uh, uh, fertile uh, crescent, which was a big arc that stretched all the way up following the rivers up to Syria and then down into Israel. And this man, Abram, had a desire to travel and to go. And as he traveled on this journey, he started to move and he traveled north. And even right at the beginning in chapter 12, the Lord said to him, I'm going to give you a land. He had this feeling. He had that it was something more. There was something unique. There was something that was meant to do. And this was driving him. So they would have packed up all that they had. And they started to move north towards uh, what is now Syria. And while he was on this journey, he understood that he knew, knew what was happening. And as he entered into Israel, it's interesting, throughout chapter 12, he builds altars wherever he went. 
And, and there, the final moment is, is at Bethel, and he builds an altar. Now, building an altar was a place where he acknowledged the work of God and built the stones and pulled it all together. And there, he worshipped and honoured God. Can I say, first of all, that many of us have this profound sense of calling that God's taking us on a journey, taking us somewhere unique. And in fact, we're all on that journey. But every step of the way, what we have to learn to do, we have have to learn to build altars and give everything to God every step of our lives. Because if you don't build an altar to the Lord every step of your life, every major moment, bring decisions to God and work it through, then then the time of testing comes, you may face problems. In fact, when you start building altars, usually that means that you end up in a place called Egypt. And a famine came into the land, and suddenly there he was, brought into Egypt. He looked around and really wanted to work out, well, how, how am I going to feed, feed my family? How am I going to work this out? I'll go down to Egypt. And as he arrived into Egypt, although he was there, comforted by the presence of the Nile, comforted that they had water and plenty, but suddenly he started to do things and compromise. In fact, in the story, of course, he lied about his relationship with his wife, and as a result, his wife ended up in Pharaoh's court in the harem, and there he was compromising because he was afraid to say that she's my wife because she's so beautiful, so I'm going to say she's my sister. (laughs) Makes sense. And then and then I'm not going to get killed. And there he is in Egypt. And of course, suddenly, after a while, a disease hits Pharaoh's home. And, and Pharaoh's going, what's going on? He relates the fact that this disease has hit his home to Abraham and, and to, um, to Sarah and understands that there's a problem. He says, what have you done to me? You have brought dishonor here. And so they leave Egypt. What's interesting is that the little story in chapter 12 almost mirrors the great story of the Exodus. It's almost like a pre-runner. They go into Egypt. Yes, they make many mistakes, and then they come out of Egypt. But as they come out of Egypt, they come out richer and stronger, and more. he is prospered in there. But notice that while he was there, he lied. And so he moved on, and we have chapter 13. And this is where we we get to know, and we know that his nephew Lot has been traveling with him, and Lot's been traveling with him, and they've grown in number, and they've grown in, in, in size, and so they have to split. And Abraham says, you take your goats and sheep this way, you go that way, and we'll go in different directions. And then in verse 14, they... The Lord reminds him and shows him the whole land and says, I'm going to give you all of this land. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to help you in this. So although Lot's gone off towards the plains and down towards Sodom and Gomorrah uh, with all the best land and everything, Abraham still hears from God and God says, I'm going to still bless you. And then chapter 14, war breaks out. Four kings come and invade the land. Suddenly there's chaos. Suddenly there's war and battle. And, and, and cities and villages are being destroyed. And so in the middle of this, Lot, the nephew, is kidnapped and taken away into captivity. 
Abraham rises up. He gathers 318 men. They jump on donkeys. That was the kind of killer machinery of the day. And 318 of them on these donkeys, ready trained men, and they go off to war. I just love it. All of these ancient warriors on donkeys. And I'm going to get you. And off they go. It's like a scene from Shrek. And as, as, as they go off, they do war and they battle. And he rescues his nephew Lot back. You know, this amazing moment at the end of that chapter where he meets Melchizedek. And there has bread and wine and ties to the king. What has actually happened in this whole scene is that Abraham has gone from pretty much insignificant to become a significant figure in the region. Chapter um, 15 is the covenant chapter, the first covenant, which deals with land. And there in verse 6, you discover amazing moment that defines so much. Because in verse 6, he says, listen... um, You are accredited by faith. In other words, you've done all of this, you traveled this far, but what marks you out the most and the difference is the faith that you have. And you have that moment where where the Lord uh, comes in a vision and and the animals are there and and they split animals in half and they burn and, and, and walks between the animals and the burning pots. And this is all to do with sacrifice, of course, but to do with land. And so in this moment, the Lord's promising, I will give you the land. And this is an eternal covenant. I will not break it. And it's Bought by sacrifice and walked between the animals. And this was the way that the ancients used to do it. Then you have this negative story that suddenly comes. In chapter 16, it's Sarah knows that she needs to have a child for the great nation to happen. But she's not conceiving. And so she hatches a plan to take Hagar and to sleep with Abraham so she becomes pregnant. And so he can have an heir. And God's plans can be fulfilled by man's means. By the way, doing it your way will never work. Only doing it God's way. And then we have uh, the most beautiful moment in chapter 17 where we read from, which is the second covenant, which is to do with the fact that mighty nations, that God's going to bless. And there, at this moment, as he falls on the ground, the Lord says to Abraham, now uh, 90 says to him, I'm going to give you a child and Sarah is going to be pregnant. I rename you. You are going to be known as this. You are going to have this. And I am with you. And God descends on him and gives him that mighty moment. You have the experience of outside the tent where three people arrive. And most theologians agree that the two angels and the one messenger was the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ coming to Abraham right there. And they they, they welcome and they talk. And it shows the level of intimacy. It's like on Abraham's journey, he's jumped a level of intimacy. And suddenly he's there. And now the very presence of God manifests. is stood in front of him. And and they're engaging. Not only are they engaging and he says, you're going to have a child. Sarah's going to be pregnant. And she laughs in the back of the tent. And this is why is Sarah laughing? If God said it, God's going to do it. And then we have that moment 
where the Lord explains that the Sodom is going to be destroyed. Sodom and Gomorrah are going to be destroyed. And Abraham goes to a different level of intimacy that we've never seen in Scripture before. He starts to pray and talk to the visitors about if there are righteous people, if God could spare them, if there's 50, if there's 40, if there's 30, if there's this. You know, you can see the progression of the relationship, can't you? And then, of course, the destruction happens in chapter 19. In chapter 20, he does exactly the same as he did in Egypt. He goes to another place, to another king. His wife is, is going to be given to that king because he's lying again. And then a dream comes and they have to reset it. But the climax is chapter, well, is chapter 22 when Sarah has conceived and a child is born. And God brings about his promise. So there's an overcap of, of the story. Now what does this all teach us? What can we learn from this story? And of course there's the mighty testing later on. And, and the story of the ram. So I've told you those highlights of the story. What does this really tell us about, about our lives? Well it comes down to a number of things. That, that in, in chapter 15 and verse 6. It comes down to the idea that the real thing that marked Abraham was faith to travel with God and go through the good times and the bad times and that faith was present in his life. And the truth is we all travel. We are all called to go on a journey. We all have to build our altars. Many of us, when times of trouble come like a famine, will find ourselves in Egypt and we'll make foolish uh, choices in our lives. Um, and, yet, and yet at the end of that, we realize as we come out of Egypt, why did I do that? Why did I think that way? Why would I act that way? It's ridiculous. But God's forgiveness is there. But you see, Abraham had a sense of the greatness of God. That's why he could be generous and go to Lot. Lot, you can go this way, you can go that way. It doesn't matter. You choose and I'll go in the opposite direction. Why could he be so generous and so blessing and so encouraging? Why? Because what Lot didn't have and Abraham did... Abraham had the view of the macro. He had the view of God's big plan. Whereas Lot just cared about here and now and what he could get. And a true believer, a believer of faith, is somebody that doesn't get bogged down in the here and now. But we see the big picture of what God is doing in the universe, in the world, and what God is doing in our lives. And very often, you're worried like Lot, well, I'm going to have the best here, when God says, I've got it under control. You're not trusting. You're not moving forward. You're not making that, that difference. And, and so, so he could do that. For us, there are times of war, when the whole world goes mad, when things happen in your family, when suddenly uh, new people enter your lives and they're, they're not a blessing and you experience pain and strife and difficulty and it starts to all fall to pieces. And that's the time when you and I have to go to prayer. If you like, we have to call together our strong men. We have to jump on our, 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 our powerful donkeys. And, and we have to say, this is not how it should be. I am going to go and I am going to fight and I'm going to go for this, for God, and I'm going to do this. 
And, we, and there are times in our own lives when we have to battle for our families, even when our, our relatives are not the kind of relatives we would necessarily like and the things that they get involved in. But we are battling because we believe that there is a greater calling and we need to battle the enemy at that time. There are those moments when, when we have to be just found face down on the floor before God and just seeking his face and knowing his ways. So let's, let's recap here about faith. I'm going to finish off on this. Faith. Faith is the key to our lives because if you move it forward, when you became a Christian, it was faith that changed your life. It was faith that made the difference. We, like Abraham, our faith was accredited to us righteousness because we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation came to us. The pilgrimage began. We're in a relationship with Jesus. We are saved because of what Christ did on the cross. And so God calls us to be a a people of faith because you cannot please God without faith. So first of all, faith, obeying God's command. This is key that when Abraham obeyed, God blessed him and he didn't get into trouble. When Abraham disobeyed and lied and compromised and created problems, he may have... He may have uh, financially uh, prospered, but amongst all of those possessions that came up from Egypt was Hagar, a servant girl from Egypt, and all of the problems that that created in his home. Because obeying God's command and obedience is at the heart of our lives to be a follower of Christ. And when I'm in the place of prayer and I'm listening and I'm walking on my pilgrimage, I have to keep obedient and I have to follow what God has commanded me. The second one is we have to trust God in the darkness. This is hard. When famine comes, do we trust Egypt or do we trust God? When war breaks out and four kings invade the land where you live, are you going to trust God and fight as Abraham did in the darkness? Or are you going to, to, to find other ways forward? Because this marks us out in our faith because faith demands obedience that we believe. Faith demands trust in the darkness. And what is amazing with Abraham is that you see him greatly trusting God at some times. And in other times, he's not trusting God in the darkness. I want you to trust God in your darkness. You may face the hardest of times and your story isn't so different at times from Abraham. But right where you are in your darkness this morning and in your battle, I want you not to doubt. I want to encourage you to have faith that God will bring you through. That when you felt the call all those years ago, compelled to follow Jesus Christ, that he is not going to fail you in the time of darkness because you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to carry you through. You're going to keep moving. The third area, faith, believing God's definite promise. This is key. Because throughout the journey, God gave Abraham promise after promise. And you have to believe God's definite promise. And it's in the time of darkness 
that we, that we, we battle. The first definite promise to Abraham, I'm going to give you land, chapter 15. The second definite promise was, I am, in chapter 17, I'm going to make you a fruitful nation that will bless the world and beyond. These are definite promises. The other definite promise is, Sarah may be old and barren and it's ridiculous, but I'm going to bring a child out of her old body. That's a definite promise. It's an amazing promise. It's not a promise that is available for all of us. I don't know if there's anybody in their 90s here that'd like to believe God for that promise. <laughs> no. Um, but, but, you know, you, you, there's a definite promise that is there. The definite promise that exists that God's going to do it. And I want you to know that there are moments when you've been on your face before God for friends, for family, for what God has shown you and it's not happened and you're waiting. But I want to tell you if God has said it and God has whispered it and God has confirmed it in scripture and you're walking with it and you know that his presence is there, then I want you to hold on to the definite promises that God has spoken to you about your life, your family, and your situation. Hold on to those definite promises. Faith is by confessing his promises with confidence. You see, Abraham had to confess it. You may say, well, that's, what do you mean? Well, let me explain. Before chapter 17, Abraham was known as Abraham. He, that was his name. But now he had renamed him, the Lord had renamed him Abraham. So every time he walked around, they'd say, what's your name? Abraham. Well, your name wasn't that before. No, God told me I've got a new name. Who are you? Abraham. Abraham. And this is Sarah. Well, she wasn't called Sarah before. She was called Sarah, Sarai. No, she's Sarah now. But, but your names have changed. Yes. Why has it changed? Because God gave me a promise that I would rise up a mighty nation. And I'm confessing it that every time every one of my tribe, every one of my family, everybody talks about me. No longer do I go by an old name. I go by a new name. And I confess that with my lips. And sometimes it's as simple as this, that we open the Bible and we confess what we know God has spoken to our lives with our lips. And confession is important. He spoke out the, the promises. He talked about the promises. They were part of it. And he spoke them out with confidence. Are you holding on to any promises in your life? Are you holding on to scriptures that have come alive and are there that are promises for you, for your family, for generations? Are you praying through promises that God has quickened to you through scripture and suddenly you know? Well, can I encourage you? Don't whisper those. Shut the door in your basement. Start to open your Bible and speak those promises out. Because you are on a journey like Abraham. You've had your Egypt. You've had your battles. You've had your wars. But let me tell you, a true follower of Christ is somebody that is confident in the promise of God's word. And you know what the greatest promise is? That one day we will see Jesus face to face. We'll see him face to face. You see, number five, faith giving up the world for great uh, inheritance. That's, that's the key. 
You've got to love Jesus more than you love this world. Abraham gave up the world for a great inheritance. Well, what world did he give up? Well, he gave up the world where he came from in the city of Ur in Iraq. He gave up. What else did he give up? Well, he was willing to give up the best pasture land and say to Lot, I don't care. You go that way. You choose the best. I'll go the opposite way. I'm generous. Why could you give up the world? Because he knew that in the kingdom of God, God would bring a great inheritance. Lot is remembered as somebody that that failed in so many ways. And his wife is remembered as somebody that looked back. Abraham is remembered as the father of mighty nations and the seed. So we have to be willing to give up the world. And, and six is that faith contending against the enemy for the inheritance. He was willing. See, the kings moved in in chapter 14. Those kings moving in, the taking of Lot, the war that ensued could have changed the whole political scene and created a situation where Abraham could not have received his inheritance. But he was willing to fight the enemy at that time. He was willing to get on those donkeys. He was willing to contend. And I think for all of us, That we know what God wants to do in our world. We know what God and how he wants to work. And what we've got to be willing to do is to fight the enemy for the inheritance that God has promised all of us. We are God's children. We have inheritance. We have faith. We have salvation. We have the power of prayer. We have the power to believe. We have a sense of eternity, the big picture, that even though somebody may rip us off, it doesn't matter. Why? Because for whole of eternity, I'm going to be with Jesus and there will be a new heavens and a new earth and a new beginning. There is a big picture going on in the world and I'm a player and I'm participating in what God is doing in this world globally. My prayers make a difference. And so Abraham, he's the man of faith. And all that happened in this story comes together in Jesus Christ. Jesus spoke about Abraham. We look back to Abraham because we feel the same as Abraham. Our faith in Jesus is credited us for righteousness. In other words, it's nothing I can do. But my faith in Jesus, I'm made righteous. He was the same man. God saw his faith and gave him much. So how is your faith? Are you following the commands that the Lord are whispering to you in your life in obedience to go to the places and do the things you should do? Are you holding on to faith while you're in the dark times of difficulty rather than running off to Egypt? Are you ready and there To realize that the promise that God has given in Scripture is there for you and you can hold on to that promise? Are you ready to confess those promises? Read Scripture. Say that the Lord is with you. Hold on to those promises. Are you ready to do battle that when somebody's going to rob those from your life, from your family, that you're found on your knees and you're willing to get on the donkey and you're willing to go to war? Are you willing to be tested even? At the very end, 
But chapter 22, he takes his son now, which is the promise. And he has to be tested to whether he's going to sacrifice him or not. And a ram appears. See, let's finish with the most important person in this story, Sarah. Why would Sarah be the most important? Because she carried the gift of the child. That in Sarah, out of nothing came something. She had, she was old, barren, never been able to conceive. But out of nothing, God created something amazing. And I want to tell you that you may feel barren, You may feel like you're nothing. You may feel as if you have nothing to give. But God specializes in out of nothing, he creates something. Out of nothing, he created the universe and created something. Out of Sarah's emptiness of non-fruitful life, God created something that was remarkable to change the world. And out out of a tomb of death, And crucifixion and a man bleeding and dying and laid in a tomb, gone, out of nothing, God created something. And Christ Jesus rose from the grave on the third day. Your nothingness is God's area for God to create something. And in your life, where you feel like there's nothing, let God into that space and bring a promise And God can do something in your nothing. Isn't that amazing? He did it for Sarah. He'll do it for you. Abraham, what a story. And we all link with him completely. Let's stand together. Just pause now. Just acknowledge that you're on a journey of life. Acknowledge that you've been called on a great pilgrimage. Acknowledge that you've had great times and blessed times. You've built altars and you've lied at other times and deceived and made a mess of it. Acknowledge that you've worried more about what I can get rather than the big themes of what God's doing. That when wars come, you've battled in your own flesh, you haven't gone to war against the enemy. You've ran away at times, rather than being on your face before God. In fact, you have the level of intimacy where Abraham stood with the visitor and said, if only there are 30 righteous people, will you, not, will you save the city? A level of intercession and closeness with Jesus that is that close because he has come to your tent, he sat outside of your life and he wants you to talk to him about those details and numbers of your life. And yet you go back and do the same Again, with Amalek in chapter 20, lies again, deceives, and God has to rescue him. And oh, we're so foolish. 
But it didn't stop God's ultimate plan to bring about redemption, salvation, and a child was born. What are you birthing? What is happening in your life, in your pilgrimage? What are you believing for? Is it grandchildren and children to come back to Christ? Is it that revival will sweep our great nation? Is it that you're contending that laws will be repealed? Is it that you're praying For your future and your calling, that job, that vocation. Is it that you're in that place? I don't know where you are on your journey. But stay out of Egypt. Build altars. And let faith be spoken in prayers in your life. And when somebody steals from you, the enemy, you get on that donkey and you and take it back again. Because you are a daughter and a son of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And you have been accredited by faith. Not you, by faith. So receive this now. Father, I pray for everybody here that's on the great pilgrimage, the great journey of the ups and downs of imperfect life. I pray that as a result of this morning, my family here, we will grow in faith to hold on to promises. We will grow in faith to believe God. We will grow in faith to do battle. We will grow in faith in every area of our lives, I ask. And where faith is lost, I pray it will be rebirthed. And that God, you will come, you will come close to us and meet with us in the name of Jesus. Help us to keep on the journey to see the promise ultimately fulfilled. When I look in his eyes and you say, well done, you good and faithful servant. In Jesus' name, I pray all of these things over our congregation. Bless them, Lord, I ask. Amen.